Father, what, what more can be said? Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How, but how great thou art. Greater than any trouble, greater than any fear, greater than any anxiety, greater than any worry, greater than any doubt, greater than any struggle, greater than any health concern, greater than any job issue, how great thou art. Oh Lord, fix our eyes on the truth again today. Nothing has the power to save but your name. The name above every name. Open our eyes Renew our hearts, open our ears to see and hear and respond to that truth again today. And so right now, in the quietness of this moment, I pray we just cast those anxieties on you because you care for us and how great thou art. The fears, the doubt, the unbelief, whatever it is, Lord, we just cast that and prepare our hearts to hear from your word this morning. That we would eagerly joyfully, willingly humble ourselves under your truth and say, Lord, you are great. I need you. You must increase today. I must decrease. May it be so, Lord. Be with my mouth. Guard it from error. Say what you want to say to your church. And may we respond faithfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's good to be together, eh, church? It's good to be in the house of the Lord together. Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. And, and if you do not have a copy of God's Word, the ushers are coming forward right now to put a copy in your hand. Just raise up your hand. They want to put a copy of God's Word in your lap so you can follow along today. And if you do not have a Bible at home, then please keep that as a free gift from us to you so you can continue to study God's Word. Trust me, you will not regret it. John chapter 3, 1 to 15. And, and I want to ask you a question as you're turning there, and it's also the title of this morning's message, and it should rivet our hearts, and it says this, who can enter the kingdom of God? Who can enter the kingdom of God? That is, who can enter heaven? Another way of asking the question is this, how can one enter the kingdom? The two are totally intertwined. I mean, what are they? If we use a term from society today, we hear all about, we talk about credentials. What are the kingdom credentials that a person must have to gain entrance into the kingdom of God? Is there some common questions that get asked as I was researching this? Is there more than one way? Can you earn your way into the kingdom of God? I mean, another is, why does this question even matter? Should it even matter for our lives? Don't, I mean, don't all roads, isn't this what the world tells us? Don't all roads lead to heaven? Can't you just believe what you want to believe, how you want to believe it and get there? Can't you just do that? There's like a smorgasbord of ways to heaven. Isn't that the case? Well, see, loved ones, there's a problem. Why this question is so important is it because it addresses this crucial issue of 
increasing belief in our world today that there are many ways to the kingdom of God and there are many ways to eternal life and the path to the kingdom of God is not exclusive. That's the growing belief. There's many things you can do. This is with not just with non-Christians. Did you know, according to one of the latest research studies, two-thirds of confessing Christians under 35 believe there's more than one way to heaven? That's confessing evangelical Christians. More than two-thirds under 35 in North America. There's many things you can do. There's many religions you can believe. There's many gods that you can call on. And that all roads do, in fact, lead to heaven. Loved one, if you hear nothing else from this message but this this morning, know this, that is a lie. That is a deception from the pit of hell. Meant to lead you astray. And the consequences of believing it are enormous. It is literally how you answer this and your response to it makes the difference. Literally, loved ones, I wish I could sugarcoat this for you. I just can't. I love you too much. And here's the reality. It literally makes the difference between eternal life with God in God's kingdom or eternal death, suffering, and torment apart from him in hell. That's what's at stake. Because here's what you say, well, wait a second. How can so many people increasingly, even confessing Christians, believe this? Because here's the truth. You'll see it on the screen. An exclusive path to the kingdom of God is unpopular in our inclusive world. An exclusive path to the kingdom of God is unpopular in an exclusive world. What do you mean? What are you telling me I can't get? What do you mean there's only one right way? What do you mean there's an absolute truth? Truth can be whatever you make it. Try telling Jesus that. See, and here in our text, Jesus begins an extensive dialogue. This is why I love expositional preaching. Verse by verse, line by line, you never get to skip the hard stuff. I love it. And here, Jesus begins an extensive dialogue with a man named Nicodemus where he presents God's plan of salvation and who can or cannot enter into his kingdom. And we see two critical truths. Critical, church, critical. The church is at a critical hour in our world today. And we see two critical truths that we must believe. We must believe it. If we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, We must believe this if we are to stay faithful to the teaching of Scripture in how we live out and share the truth about the kingdom of God. Ready to go, church? Let's stand and honor the authority of God's word. Let's read chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. You must be born again. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? 
Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, what we see here so definitively, so clearly, is that to enter the kingdom of God, you cannot rely on yourself. Let me repeat this again. To enter the kingdom of God, you cannot rely on yourself. You must be born again. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. See, all of this section that we are about to unpack addresses the underlying question that we must ask ourselves, and it is this. Am I trying to earn the kingdom? Am I trying to earn the kingdom? And this is what we see right off the top here in these first two verses with Nicodemus. Let's get some context Jesus is in his public ministry and he's been performing signs before the people. Signs, miracles, for the purpose of authenticating who he is as the son of God. And we looked at that last week in verse 23. You just hit, skip back a couple verses, you'll see he's performing many signs. But after a while, after taking notice of what's happening here, an influential Pharisee, when I say influential, that's a big time understatement. You'll see why in just a moment. An influential Pharisee named Nicodemus, who's been watching these things, unfold, has been watching the people flock to Jesus and watching Jesus do these incredible signs. He comes to Jesus by night. That's significant. We'll see that in a moment. He comes to him by night to speak with him. Now, we have to understand the Pharisees, Greek word pharisaos, means this, purist, separatist. They're separated from sin. We have any separatists in the room? Anyone, anyone? No, no, no separatists here, okay? All right, we're in church. We can't lie. There we go. So, but the Pharisees, they, they got their very name to say we're separated from sin. It's like you guys and then us, right? These were the religious leaders of Israel. They were known as the keepers of the law, and they were highly zealous, and when I say highly, I mean highly. They were highly zealous for upholding the 613 commands of the Mosaic Law that were given to Israel at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus and of how to live in a right relationship with God. And they were so zealous for it, they added a whole bunch of different acts that they then expected the people to do just to make sure they didn't mistakenly break one of the other commands. So they added on these extra biblical assignments, if you will, that people had to do in order to not break a command. Highly zealous. Now Nicodemus, as we see here in verse 1, it says he was a ruler 
of the Jews. What does that mean? He was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was like today's Supreme Court. The highest men in Israel, made up of 71 men, the ruling council, Supreme Court, who, as we will see in verse 10, Nicodemus was the, Nicodemus was the man. Nicodemus was the master of religious teaching in all Israel. In fact, other leaders, other Pharisees would go to Nicodemus because he was the top dog. He was like teacher par excellence. We'll get to that in verse 10. He knew the Old Testament inside and out, or so he thought. And he came by night. Why did he come by night? Because he wanted a secret meeting. He wanted a secret meeting with Jesus because Jesus was very unpopular with the Pharisees. You say, why? Because Jesus is stealing their crowd. Pharisees loved it when people looked up to them. I want to be like him. I want to be like him. Well, now this guy, Jesus, comes on the scene. He's the hot ticket. Everyone starts going to him. So he's unpopular with the Pharisees, preaching about the kingdom of God and doing these signs to authenticate who he is. And as a result, if Nicodemus is going to meet with them, he better go by night because he's risking a lot by going to speak to him and learn from him about who he really was. And he's about to get more than he bargained for. Verse 3, Jesus doesn't even wait for him to ask any questions. You notice that? Watch this. He looks straight into Nicodemus' heart. He sees this guy coming, not intimidated. He looks straight into his heart sees his core problem and says this. Look at verse three. No questions even asked. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Imagine that, eh? You're coming and this is Jesus who looks at you. He sees your heart, sees your core issue and bam, hits you right in the middle of it. Jesus always goes back to the heart. He says, truly, truly, this is, this is mentioned 25 times in the Gospel of John. Jesus says this phrase, and this is, could be translated amen and amen, which means this, it's a forceful emphasis marker that intros a statement of pivotal importance. So what is about to come next is absolutely crucial. Truly, truly, Nicodemus, truly, truly, Harvest Ottawa, Jesus Christ says to us, it means assuredly, it is firm. This is non-negotiable. This is not going to change with culture. Truly, truly, I say to you, he says that unless one is born again, he cannot see. The word there, see, means to look upon or to enter. That's why he repeats it later on. Enter the kingdom of God. Now, what does it mean to be born again? See that term, born again. It means born from above, it can be translated. To become a child of God through imparted spiritual life from God. To become a child of God because of imparted, divinely imparted spiritual life from God. Now, Look at Nicodemus' response. Imagine this, if you're Nicodemus and you've been working so hard to keep 613 plus commands, you're teaching legions of Pharisees this. Imagine that statement right to the heart. Look at how he responds in verse four. He's not trying to be like joking around here. He's legitimately asking, whoa, whoa, whoa. He said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He just doesn't get it. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So he's like, how do I fit? How does this happen? How can it do this? He's thinking on a natural level because that's what he was doing. 
basing it on himself, thinking on that. This is radical teaching for him. Why? Because the Pharisees believed that their natural birth heritage as Jews, number one, and their keeping of the external religious rituals, number two, qualified them to enter God's kingdom. And Jesus looks right into the heart of Nicodemus and says, your spiritual heritage, your, your generational heritage will not get you the kingdom. All those acts you think you're doing to, to, to enter God's kingdom, that won't get you there. Imagine this, everything in Nicodemus' life at this moment is just going, everything he devoted his life to in one statement, because Jesus sees the heart. Jesus looks into his heart and says this, forget your external rituals and your birth heritage, Nicodemus. The kingdom of God is not for those who posture with external religious imitation. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God is not for those who posture with religious external imitation, but it is exclusively for those who have undergone an internal transformation. It's not about imitation, it's about transformation. Exclusively born of God. And he emphasizes, he goes on to say, okay, well, what's this transformation? He emphasizes it. Look at verses 5 to 7. He goes and tells us what the transformation is. Jesus answered again, truly, truly. Okay, pay attention to what's coming next, loved ones. Here we go. Truly, truly, pivotal. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot, he repeats it again, cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Okay, water and spirit. Now he switches a little bit. What's going on here? Can't enter. What does that mean? Well, what Jesus isn't talking about, let's just clear this up. He's not talking about amniotic fluid, loved ones. Water and the spirit. For you guys, it's like the fluid around the baby in the womb. Okay? Okay? You can't be, you can't get to the kingdom of heaven through amniotic fluid, loved one, that's not what I'm telling you. He's talking about a spiritual cleansing when he mentions water. Imagine, who would have thought we'd come to church today and talk about amniotic fluid? There you go, Bible addresses everything. So here we go. He's a spiritual cleansing of the heart by the Holy Spirit. See, water and spirit in verse 5 is one entity. Jesus says it as one united truth there. Okay, and so every time you see what he's doing, he's like, I've got the greatest teacher in all of Israel sitting in front of me. I'm going to take him back to the Old Testament and show him what he's missing. This is what Jesus is doing. Because every time, every time in the Old Testament water is used figuratively, it's talking about spiritual cleansing. Don't believe me? Let's look at Ezekiel 36, 25. And this is just one example. He says this, God says this, the nation of Israel, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. He's pointing to the new birth that he's describing to Nicodemus. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Okay, wait a second, this is going way beyond water now. Physical water, 
right? This doesn't happen through physical water. We don't get rid of our idols through it. And he says, and I will give you, notice the promise, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove, here comes the new birth, ready? I will remove the heart of stone, the one that is rejecting me, the one that is hardened to God, I will remove it from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'm giving you literally a new heart. Born again. And I will put my spirit within you. There it is again. Water and spirit. See that? I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Why? Because we can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you can't earn your way to heaven. We cannot rely on ourselves. Apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. Now, born again, so what Jesus is emphasizing, he's taking them back to the Old Testament, born again no longer, it's just a natural birth. Flesh can only give birth to flesh, verse 6 says. That's the best you get. He's not just talking about a natural birth in a human nature. Now, he's talking about a spiritual birth and a divine nature. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I'm about to give you a divine nature that can only be given by God and not by anything you or I could do. You and I can't earn a divine nature with all our external rituals. See, you are literally regenerated, it's called. What's a, what's a breakdown of regeneration? Made new. Two words, made new. I'm making you new. I'm giving you a new heart, which is the center of your being. I'm making you new by the Holy Spirit. And I love how Matt, commentator, or Matt Carter, the commentator, described this being born again, the new birth. The Spirit of God makes a person alive. Isn't that amazing? I love it. Alive and new from the inside. The Spirit of God does. The new birth happens when God's Spirit animates the human spirit, making a person alive to the things of God. It's the total transformation of a person from the inside out. There's the new birth. The Holy Spirit divinely initiates the new birth, gives a new heart, opens eyes to see, ears to hear, and heart to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about the act of salvation. Yeah, love, we're talking about regeneration at this moment. How we respond after we've truly been regenerated, we'll get to in a moment. So what does this look like? Jesus tries to help Nicodemus out here because he knows he's blowing up his world right now, right? And so he tries to help him and give him an illustration so he can relate. What does this look like? Verse 8. Verse 8, he says this, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. See, he's saying to Nicodemus, you can see or feel the effects of wind, like waves. Look at it on the screen. There. There's the wind tossing the waves. Look, go outside today. You can see and feel the effects of wind. There's the waves. You won't see this on the Rideau River, by the way. But you get the point. Waves blowing. How about this? Trees bending. You can see it and feel it. He says you can see it in leaves blowing. But you cannot see the wind. You cannot see where it's coming from or going. You can try to get some ideas. And so it is with those born again of the Spirit of God. 
You can't see him. But when the spirit works, his effects are undeniable. His effects are undeniable as he transforms us and makes us alive to God. It's when the spirit comes and regenerates a heart, it is eyes open to see the truth. Maybe today you've been in church and you've been hearing the gospel week after week after week, but the spirit has not regenerated your heart. And all it is, you still don't see the truth. It's just words from the Bible. But when the spirit comes, the effects are under them. You're like, it makes sense. It makes sense. I see the truth. I hear it like for the first time. My heart is now softened to respond to it, to believe in it. Lives are transformed. I was, the testimony of one who's been regenerated is this. I was blind, but now I see. I was deaf, but now I hear. I was mute to proclaiming Christ, but now my mouth is open to proclaim him, that he's the way, the truth, and the light. I was rejecting, but now I'm responding. And this only happens through the new birth of the Spirit and nothing we can do ourselves. So let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Write this down. Are you trying to make yourself or others alive spiritually? Are you trying to make yourself or others alive spiritually? Are you trying to earn, like Nicodemus, like so many others, being fed the lie today that you can earn the kingdom of God in your life or are you trying to earn it in the life of another so they will come to it? Maybe, maybe for some of us this looks like this. We're trying to earn our salvation in God through our own effort, through our good deeds, through our religious rituals and practices, through your, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than that guy over there. So I've got a leg up. No, you don't. Loved one, no, you don't. If I just give enough, if I just recite enough verses, if I just read enough, if I just do enough good deeds, then I'll earn the kingdom. You cannot earn the kingdom yourself, loved one. You have to be spiritually made alive by the Holy Spirit. And maybe for some of us here, some of us claiming to follow Jesus Christ, believers in the gospel, we can fall into this trap too. We can still be trying to earn the kingdom. We can still be trying to earn favor with God through our performance for God instead of living for and serving him out of a growing love or passion for him. Are you trying to earn the kingdom, loved one? Are you trying to earn God's favor instead of resting in the truth that he loves you unconditionally and that your salvation is already secured if you are truly his? Loved one, stop trying to earn the kingdom. Does that mean we don't work with excellence for God? Does that mean, of course not. But we're doing it out of an overflow of love for him, not to try to earn something from him. Are you trying to earn the kingdom? Or how about this? We can do it this way. Well, not me, but are we trying to earn the kingdom for others? Parents, are we trying to earn it for our kids? I can be guilty of that. Are we trying to earn it for our kids by thinking that it's your job to open their eyes, that it's your job to give them a new heart instead of just sharing the truth of the gospel with them and letting God do what only he can do? 
knowing that he is the only one who can open the eyes through his Holy Spirit. When we share our faith, look at when we share our faith with our neighbors, when we share with our coworkers, one of the number one reasons for fear is just what? I won't know what to Oh, say a little louder. I won't know what to. I won't have the right words. What do I say? And so we shrink back. Hey, loved ones, that's not your responsibility. You say, well, if I just can't say it clear enough, and if I just say, oh, if I just get this example, you can't open their eyes. You cannot open their heart, loved one. And as a pastor, I was rocked with this again this week. There is no amount of study that I can put in. 30 plus hours. There's no amount of prayer. There's no amount of this. Unless the Holy Spirit right now is opening your eyes and opening your heart, this can't change you. I can't change you. There's nothing I can say to do that. And this is the tension every single week. This is why we beg God to show up. You can't change your spouse. You can't try to earn the kingdom for your kids. You can't try to earn the kingdom for your neighbor. Our job is to be faithful. Loved ones, lose the pressure and lose the fear. I wonder how much of the anxiety in our witness is a result of us trying to do God's work for him. Let's just try to earn the kingdom for that person. That's not your job. Your job is to be faithful, to declare what God has done and share what he's done in your life. Lose the pressure, lose the fear. Here, case in point, Christmas invite. Who's it for? Say, well, I won't know what to say. Say, will you come? There's a good start. And let the Holy Spirit do it. Will you come? It's not your job to convince. Well, we've got a really cool band, and no offense, Josh. We've got a really cool band, and we've got, you know, really cool stuff here, and maybe we'll have coffee after the service. Chill. No coffee, Okay. But Jesus Christ, Lord willing, will be here. Think about it this way. Did any of you do anything to be born physically? Did you get to choose? No. Same thing with being born spiritually. You can't do anything to be born spiritually. And this is why to enter the kingdom of God, you cannot rely on yourself, loved ones. You must be born again. And once you are truly born again, the first thing you realize is that to enter the kingdom of God, you need a savior. This is the first thing the Holy Spirit does upon regeneration. He opens your eyes to see your need for a savior. You can only rely on Jesus Christ. If you are going to enter the kingdom of God, if I'm going to enter the kingdom of God, we must be born again, and we can only rely on Jesus Christ. You must believe in him. This is the first thing the Spirit does. Shows you your need for a Savior. Key question that underlines this last point today is this. Do I believe that salvation is in Christ alone? Do I believe that salvation is in Christ alone? Alone. Look at verses 9 to 13. Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can these things be? How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? Do you not understand these things? 
Truly, truly, here goes again, third time. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. That's what happens when one is not born again. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one, verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of man. See, in nine, verses 9 to 10, Nicodemus responds to Jesus by asking, well, how can these things be? He goes, wait a second, how to be spiritually born again and rejoice? What you, water in the spirit, how can these things happen? Now, obviously, what does that indicate by that question? See the heart behind the question? Obviously, even though he was the most prominent and well-learned teacher in all of Israel, he had never taught these things before. He had never taught them before. What do you mean, new birth? You can't earn your way to heaven? What? There's only one way to see the kingdom of God? What? He's only been teaching that entrance to the kingdom is dependent on external imitation. A man-made humanistic effort. Which is why Jesus then sharply but lovingly rebukes him in verse 10. He says, aren't you the teacher of Israel? Don't you know the Old Testament inside and out? Because this is taught all throughout the Old Testament. That's why I took you back there earlier. This, loved ones, I'm going to say it again. This is why you cannot unhitch the Old Testament from Jesus. Every part of it points to him. You can't say the OT in today's terms. OT. <laughs> Old Testament. Is irrelevant. Everything points to Jesus Christ. Points toward our need for a savior. And then he says, look at this. And then he affirms, Jesus affirms the truth of what he's saying by declaring emphatically, verse 11, he says, truly, truly, again, pivotal importance. Let's pay attention, Nicodemus. Let's pay attention, church. Truly, truly, I say to you, He's saying that the testimony of himself and all, who's the we? Now he's gone plural on us. What's Jesus talking about? Who's the we? He says, the testimony of himself and all of the other prophets or people who've been born again. He says, the testimony of himself. He says, this is true, but Nicodemus in the nation of Israel, that you, by the way, and all of the yous in verse 12 are plural now. Jesus isn't just speaking to Nicodemus. He's speaking about the nation of Israel, right? It's plural now. He says, you are not receiving or believing the truth that we are testifying to. If you can't even believe the earthly things we're telling you, Nicodemus, if you can't believe the earthly things I'm saying, verse 12, he says about what happens here on earth in a person's life about the new birth. If you can't understand these things, hey, hey, Nicodemus, how will you believe if I tell you about the greater things of God? God's plan of salvation. How are you going to believe it? You can't get the earthly stuff of what happens. What? How could you even think to understand the heavenly wisdom? Here's why I can tell you, he says. Here's why I can tell you unequivocally that what I say is God's truth. And if someone tries to tell you something else, if someone says, even today, as he's telling Nicodemus here, if someone says they found a different way to God, 
If, there, if someone proclaims another way to the kingdom of heaven, here's how you know. He's about to give rock-solid, non-negotiable, crystal-clear proof of this that what Jesus says is true. If someone proclaims to you another way, here's how you know they're lying. Here's how you know it's a deception. Look at verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. No one has ever ascended or gone up into heaven and come back down to bring back this knowledge of the truth. No one's ever gone up to heaven, sat with God in the kingdom, learned the knowledge of God, and then come back down to give it to people. He says, because if you're, if you're going to have direct knowledge of heavenly things, here's the thing Jesus is emphasizing, you need to have direct personal contact with the heavenly realm. And since no one has ever ascended to heaven and brought it back for people, no man has ever done it. There had to be one that was already with God in the heavenly realm who knows the truth of God and then descended from heaven to make the truth of God available to all. No one was on earth and then ascended and came back down with it. He said there had to be one who was already with God. Oh, wait. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. One had to be there who knows the truth, descended to make the truth available to all. And only the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, has done this. Here, here, here. Want to detect deception? By this statement. If it's new, if what you're hearing is new about how to get to the kingdom of heaven, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. And some of you may sit here and say, well, wait a second. Some of these other religions, some of these other ways that are being proclaimed to get to the kingdom of heaven, well, some of them have been around a long time. Maybe hundreds, maybe a thousand years. Hey, uh, sure. But none of them, and I say none of them, have been around before time itself began. There was only one who was with God, who descended to bring us the truth of God's plan for salvation. All of these other religions, all of these other quote-unquote pathways to God, all happened after the fall. When sinful hearts of men deceived, twisted, and the enemy distorted the truth of God in their lives, only one was with God before time began, and he came down. No one else has ascended. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not. Then Jesus, knowing, oh, what a verse, by the way. Like, just, I just had to sit on that for like five hours this week. That one verse. Startling. That is a line in the sand right there. And then Jesus, knowing Nicodemus' knowledge of the Old Testament, guess what he does? In love, 
to bring the truth. He goes back to the Old Testament. He goes, gives a picture to point to God's plan of salvation to try to help Nicodemus understand how people can enter the kingdom of God. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says this. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So what he's, what he's talking about here, Moses in the wilderness, he's taking them back to Numbers chapter 21, verses 5 to 9. I'll give you a little synopsis where the people of Israel are in the wilderness and they begin complaining and speaking against God and Moses' leadership. Do you think God hates complaining and grumbling from his people? Oh yeah. Some of the things they're, they're talking about, there's no food. This journey's taking too long. There's no water. You're not leading us right, Moses. And they start speaking against God. They start speaking against Moses. And what God does, he punishes them by sending fiery serpents who then bite the people. And people start dying. And eventually, people start seeing death all around them. They, people confess their sin and they ask Moses. They're like, we have sinned against you. We've sinned against the Lord. They ask Moses to intervene on their behalf and God tells them this. He tells Moses this. Make a serpent out of bronze. That is copper. Make a serpent out of copper and put it up on a pole so that everyone who, here it is, chose, everyone who chose to look at the serpent would be saved and healed physically. You had to make a deliberate act of the will to choose to look at it if you were going to be saved. So here's Jesus saying, I'm telling you, Nicodemus, that just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so I must be lifted up that whoever chooses to believe in me will have eternal life and enter the kingdom of God. There is no other way. And this world will try to tell you other things, loved ones. Jesus says, but I'm telling you, there is only one who is with God in the beginning and who knows the divine truth about God and his plan for salvation. And there was only one who knew this truth and descended to earth to bring it to all people. And I am him. I am him. Stunning statement, John 14, 6. Jesus said, you're talking about a line in the sand, loved ones. Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the way to the kingdom of God. Not what you are doing relying on yourself. Not what you are doing lifting up other gods or idols. I am the way. Why? Because I am the truth. I am the divine truth that was with God in the beginning and descended by becoming man and fully God to bring it to you and make it available to all. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one no one, no one, no matter how convincing they may seem, if they are not preaching the truth that Jesus is speaking of here, if they are not believing this truth, no one comes to the Father except through me. And this right here is why all roads don't lead to heaven. This is why the kingdom of God is exclusive. Entrance into it is exclusive. Available to all, 
but only those regenerated and choosing to receive Jesus Christ will enter. And just as the bronze serpent was lifted up on a pole, Jesus was lifted up on a cross. See that? There it is again. Just as the Israelites needed to turn from their sin and choose to look at the serpent to be saved, we must turn from our sin and choose to look at Christ alone and believe in him as our Lord and Savior if we are to be saved from our sin and enter the kingdom of God. That's it. To enter the kingdom of God, you cannot rely on yourself. Let's be clear. You must be born again. You must be made spiritually alive by the Holy Spirit. And if you've been truly born again, you will believe what Jesus says. If you've been truly born again, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, you will believe what Jesus says. I love how Matt Carter puts this. He says, the single, you say, how do I know if I'm born again? Here's how. The single unmistakable sign of the new birth is faith in Jesus. That he is the Messiah. It's not having a respect for Jesus. Well, he's, a, he's the highest of angels. Nope. Well, he's a prophet. Nope. He's a prophet, but he's a savior. He is God Almighty. The way, the truth, and the life. It is a not having a good opinion of Jesus. It's a wholehearted faith in Jesus. It's believing every single word he says and committing everything to him. The spirit, this is what happens in regeneration. The spirit uproots the forest of skepticism, the excuses, the defensiveness, the yeah, but if I see this sign, then I'll believe, but if, but if... At the moment of regeneration, the spirit uproots the forest of skepticism and self-reliance, got to earn my way, that grows in our hearts. And here's what he does. He plants seeds of faith. That is the regenerate response. So question, as we close out, do you believe that salvation is in Christ alone? Do you believe that? If you do not, in love, I just say this, you are not regenerated. Do you believe that he is the only way to the kingdom of heaven? Loved ones, Hebrews 3 says this, today, today, when you hear his voice, and he's knocking at the door of your heart, Here's what I'm going to say. Do not harden your heart to that. In fact, right now, right where you're sitting, ask him, Lord Jesus, show me if this is true. And if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you've committed your life to him, two things I want to leave us with. Write these down. Number one, What parts or part of your life do you need to surrender or commit to him? That you're like, Jesus, I'll give you this, but I won't give you my kids. I'll give you this, but I won't give you my dating life. I'll give you this, I won't give you my grades. I'll give you this, but I won't give you my agenda because I still want my way. I'll give you this, but I won't. What part or parts of your life do you need to surrender or commit to him? 
It's a wholehearted commitment. And where do we need to surrender today? And the second thing is this. Love them. Just sat back in my chair this week in my office. Just tears of joy. Like, think about this. Are you still living, loved one, in awe and gratitude that God chose you? He chose you. He loves you. He chose you. He called you. And drew you to himself that you could have eternal life with him. And this, here's the kicker. This wasn't based on even one thing that you could do for him. But was completely based on his love for you. Does that still leave you in awe? That he didn't choose you because you were going to be the next Billy Graham. He didn't choose, he chose you and ordained to regenerate your life, doing the impossible in your life because he loves you and said, You are mine. You cannot earn this. Stop trying to earn the kingdom, loved one. I pray that leaves us in awe this week. And secondly, now, from that, here it is. Everyone hold these up. Hold them up. Christmas invitations. Get one in our hands right here. Yes, loved ones, love seeing those. Let's do it. All right? Now, who around you needs to hear about God's love for them? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as you are at work here today, I confess there is nothing that I could say that can change a heart, that can regenerate and transform a life. I confess that. But I ask right now that your Holy Spirit will be opening eyes to see all across this place, opening ears to hear, giving a new heart and making many spiritually alive. And as you do that, I pray our first response is we see that Jesus Christ, in Christ alone, is my cornerstone. In Christ alone, there is hope. In Christ alone is the kingdom of heaven. I pray right now all across this place, those who made that decision and those that you're opening eyes right now, God, I pray we would just willingly come under and say, have it all, Lord. Have it all, my parenting. Have it all, my scheduling. Have it all, my health. Have it all. Have it all, Lord. What you say goes. I'm not trying to earn anything from you. I can't do that. But out of a love for you, I give my life for you. Lord, help us to love you more right now. You must increase we must decrease. And as we sing, oh God, as we sing, I pray this would be the anthem of this church, not just right now in 2018, but for generations to come, that in Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone, he is our cornerstone. In Jesus' name, amen.